there is this kind of fantasy thinking that you want to believe that somehow my book is going to go viral and break the odds. Probably not going to happen. So what is your real goal? What do you want from this? What would a win be? Because if you're always chasing after something that's unattainable, sounds like a pretty strong recipe for disappointment. Write the world-changing book that will help grow your personal brand and your business as it makes the world a better place. Welcome to the Author's Corner, hosted by Robin Colucci. Every episode, we bring you some of the most successful authors, as well as other industry experts, to share some inspiration, motivation, tactical strategy, and fun. We'll also talk about the challenges and trends in the publishing industry. Don't get stuck in the idea phase. Join the Author's Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about. Hello and welcome to the Author's Corner. I am your host, Robin Colucci, and today you are in for a real treat because You know, it can be pretty easy to have people come on the show and talk about their journey to author success, but it's not every day you get a guest who's willing to come on and talk about a really harrowing author journey. And we have been fortunate to have some other guests come and talk with us about this in the past, but I think that you'll particularly enjoy what we have to learn from Elin Hunkins. And he will be sharing with us about some difficult roads that he went down and how he ultimately found his way. Now, Alain has been helping high-achieving people become high-achieving leaders for over 25 years. He has worked with over 2,000 groups of leaders in 27 countries, including 42 of the Fortune 100 companies. In addition to being a leadership speaker, consultant, trainer, and coach, Elin is the author of the book, Cracking the Leadership Code, Three Secrets to Building Strong Leaders, which was published by Wiley in March of 2020. Now, I want you to listen very closely because some of the challenges and tribulations that Elin went through were avoidable if he had had a little bit more understanding of the industry and how it works when it's being handled ethically and above board and how it works when it's not. So there are a ton of lessons here and not just in how to succeed in getting your book published legitimately, but also in how to lead yourself to be a better writer and ultimately how to lead yourself to persevere and achieve your ultimate aims. So get ready for an episode it is chock full of valuable lessons. Ella, welcome to the Author's Corner. Thanks so much, Robin. I'm delighted to be with you here today. Thanks. Well, it's so much fun to have you here, and I'm very, very excited about our topic today. But before we dive right in, because I am that type, right? I just like to dive in. Slunk right <laughs> into the, the back of the pool. Yeah. But I'd love to have you pre-frame this a little bit because we're going to tell a, a really interesting story about your book journey, but maybe share with our listeners a little bit of what led up to your book journey and just that initial soup of when you decided to write a book and how that connects with your career, et cetera, you know, just to give yeah. us a little bit of a foundation to draw upon. Sure. Happy to. I imagine that like many listeners, I had, there was a book inside me waiting to come out for years. Like, and I'm sure many listeners can relate to this, right? The sense of, and you know, and I had many, many false starts of this and that, and I kind of gave up and I wrote and I stopped and 
I had this wonderful mentor at one point in life. And he said, Ellen, can I give you a little coaching? Because I was a little down on him. You know, he said, what do you want to do? I was like, I want to write a book. He said, can I give you a, my best writing mentorship? Sure. He said, writers write. Great. That was it. It was like, writers write. And I said, oh, I really want to write this book. He said, you know, a book, like going from zero to a book is a little bit like going from your couch to a marathon. He said, how about a blog? You think you could do a blog? And he said, no, like 300 words. That's it. Can you commit to 300 words? And I said, yeah. He said, how often? I went, once a week. Okay. So that's what I got actually started on. So so I started on a blog and it's still up there on my website, 2011. It's awful. I mean, some of the writing up there, as it's going to be because you've got to hone the writing muscles, right? But I got myself in the first, it's funny because the first few months were really inconsistent in terms of scheduling. It was more than like sometimes be like two posts a day and all the stuff. But I ended up got myself on a schedule where I was publishing on a Saturday and I would publish every Saturday and I did not miss a Saturday for over four years, right? So then four, four years later, I have 250 some odd blog posts and I started going back through them looking for the themes because they were all, because I do leadership training and consulting. So I was always out with clients and sessions and like something would come up like, oh, that's the germ of a story. That's the basis of a blog post. Let me write this down. And I started having that carry an index card mindset with me everywhere. It's like, oh, here's an idea and capture it because I needed to, I had to publish and it was great, great training. So I share all this as kind of preamble and backstory to the blog posts became the scaffolding and structure for, I went through them and I went, all right, so what are the common themes? And as I went through reviewing and reading all these blog posts again and again around leadership, there were three themes that kept showing up, connection, communication, and collaboration. So that became the structure for what became my book, Cracking the Leadership Code, right? The three secrets to building strong leaders, which are again, connection, communication, collaboration. Great. So I was all excited about this. At the time, I didn't even, you know, there was no book title, there was this. So I needed some help. And so I happened to go to a professional organization where I knew someone who had a published book and she recommended someone. And so, and again, all the characters in the story will remain nameless for, <laughs> as you will all hear why we're keeping them nameless. Right. It's, it gets ugly before it gets pretty. There's a happy ending, but it, it gets a little ugly along the way. So what ended up happening is so she recommended this consultant. And she said, he helped me with getting a publisher and helped me with the writing. So all of which to say, so I ended up talking to this consultant and I hired this consultant and basically paid a monthly retainer. And we started off basically as my book, I guess you could say writing consultant and slash agent. And so he said, okay, great. You know, and he said, I will help you get a book contract. And I will also, you pay me. I will, you know, I have an assistant who can help you work through the outline for your book proposal. And so he knew what a proposal needed to look like. I actually took three months off of my full-time job. What I thought was going to be three months off to write a book. I took three months off to write a book proposal. (laughs) <laughs> realize how much work that was going to take. It is a very unique animal, the book proposal. It really and is. Oh my gosh. For sure. So we kept working, you know, and I was on a monthly retainer paying this money to do all this stuff. And then, so he went off and basically found a publisher and he was like, Hey, guess what? Good news. I have a book contract for you. And this book contract was basically this small publisher. I wasn't going to get paid anything. And in fact, I was going to have to buy 300 books myself 
But he said, it's a contract. And me being so, I was frankly kind of intoxicated by this whole idea of being a published author by a real legitimate pub- that did I read the fine print of my contract? No. Did I ask a bunch of questions? No. Did I ask other published authors for their advice about what I should be looking for? No, 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 no. I was all in on blind faith and trust. Not a great strategy, listener. <laughs> okay, so again, and so we have this book contract with this little publisher. And so at this point, it's September, October of 2017. And the manuscript is due in uh, June 30th, 2018. And I'd written a lot of it, but I was really working in earnest with the publish- uh, my this guy, this consultant, his assistant, who's also my agent. Right? So his assistant, and we were working through stuff, doing a lot of really good editing and stuff. Actually, the book got in really good shape over the next bunch of months. And as we're getting in towards June, I'm finishing up the manuscript. Actually, the manuscript was done a little bit earlier than that. I started going out and querying a bunch of people for endorsements and testimonials for the book. And I went to a bunch of high-level thought leaders who I didn't know personally, but they were in the book because, I mean, this is some of the work that I do. And so I was in very earnest to make the long story short in that part is I reached out to them and I got a lot of really great endorsements for the book, right? So people like Daniel Pink endorsed the book mm-hmm. and Jim Cousins and Barry Posner, the author's leadership challenge and Marshall Goldsmith and Danny Meyer, the head of Union Square Hospitality Group. These were all people that just basically believed in what I was sharing with them. So I was feeling a bit confident about this. So then I go and I, I submit the manuscript and almost immediately in all of my email exchanges with now the publisher in June, my spidey sense is tingling. I'm going, mm. ah, this doesn't feel right. This feels like everything they're saying just feels wrong. So for example, they said, well, look, the book, we're a small publishing house. So the book, it's going to retail for $39. It's like, that sounds like an academic. Well, that's right. the price that we publish. This publishing house happens to be kind of a quasi-academic public. Like if they sell 200 books, they're happy. Well, who knows? I don't know what their business model is, but basically I think probably academic where you have students who have like mandatory reading and the expectation is that, but all of which to say is like, look, this is not an academic book. And so I started pushing back and I went back to my agent mm-hmm. and I started saying, Hey, I'm not comfortable with the same thing with the book cover. They're like, well, these are the choices you have. And that's all. I was like, well, hold on a second. I don't like any of these things. And basically his answer to me was, Alain, look, you're basically rocking the boat. Just Keep your hand, just shut up and just go along with them. He was getting upset with me as opposed to advocate. And this is my agent, right? This is supposed to be my agent who's done all this for me. But I was like, I'm not okay with this because, you know, this is my work. This is my baby. Like, you got to take care of my baby. And so I kept on with this. And what ended up happening was this. So I kept going to them and then politely, we're going back and forth, but disagreeing with stuff. And then I emailed the agent at one point and he just stops returning my emails. And then I call him and he doesn't call me. He basically starts ghosting me. He just Mm -hmm. disappears, completely disappears. And this is someone I've been paying every month for 16 months. To me, that's just like the height of lack of professionalism. I was like, I couldn't, I was stunned that he was just, I was shocked. And I have not spoken with him since actually, Mm -hmm. but I kind of went back and I ended up talking to the publisher. And we kept going back and forth. And then finally, she said to me, you know, Alain, with all this back and forth that you're saying, you're questioning the process along the way. It sounds to me like you actually want to self-publish. And <laughs> I said, maybe. I think, I don't know if I would do, but I don't want this. She said, so finally, after kind of a lot of tension and back and forth emails, we broke up. Basically, I was able to get the rights to the book back and we broke the contract, like no money changed sides and all this stuff. 
And as I've talked to you, Robin, I've talked to other people who are like, you're lucky you were able to get the rights back because I was going to say, <laughs> right. Because I had yeah. signed the rights to the publisher and they could yeah. have kept them and they could have made my life really miserable. And I talked to some lawyers at this point and it was just getting really difficult. So that was kind of a low point. And, you know, and my wife and some friends were like, look, dude, just chalk it up to the tuition and school of life. Just take it as a loss and just publish with them because you have a publisher and just go. And I was like, nope, 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 nope. I just believed in myself and this work too much. And so that all, we kind of broke up July, 2018. I ended up moving to Europe with my family. We had planned to move to Europe. So we moved to Europe. And at this point, I'm like, okay, I have this finished manuscript and I have these really good endorsements and I have no contract and I have no publisher. What am I going to do? Oh, at the time also, I realized, oh, and I had asked around the fact that I had hired someone to be my book consultant and agent. Everyone that knows anything about anything said, dude, never, ever, ever have the same person. You don't pay your agent. Your agent represents you. They get a commission on what you earn. Yeah. It's like, that is so bad. So I was like, so well, I've been sitting here biting my tongue. Yeah. It's your wanting go, go ahead, Robin, to interject tell them, that little detail. Yes. So I'm glad that, I mean, it was a little late, but you still got the advice. And yeah, that is just for our listeners, though. I want to do, I'm Please, glad you flagged ex- that. Expand because, on this one. This is huge. Because this is a clear red flag. And really the canons that literary agents are supposed to follow is that they only get paid when they sell the book. And they get paid a 15% commission on your earnings yeah. from the publisher, from the book sales. And that's it. And you can see why by your agent's behavior of not standing up for you, of not helping you fight for what you felt you needed to have a successful book and ghosting you because they really had already gotten paid. And so in their mind, and I can't speak for what their intent was, but just in terms of a baseline incentive, an agent who is going to be paid based on what you sell based on that deal is going to do their best to make that deal work for both sides. And so, yeah. All right. Enough of my soapboxing. Let's us pick up. So we're going to pick up the story here. So act two, right? So this is like, exactly. We've had intermission. And the moral of act one is don't have the agent be the same person you're paying. Exactly. That's, I think that's loud and clear. So act two. So I'm now in Europe. And so what I ended up doing was I basically picked up, I bought the online catalog of literary agents and I went to the nonfiction and the business section. And I just started querying, just emailing every single person who seemed like that might be a good fit. And it probably was 80 or so different agents I sent mm-hmm. emails out to. Like, hey, I've got this manuscript. I've got these endorsements. Would you be interested in having conversation about this? And I think out of the 80 or so emails, I ended up getting in contact with 14 actual. That's pretty you know, good. Pretty good. Like actually getting a That's reply. pretty good. Yeah. A reply back, right? 14 people replied back. And of those 14, four were very interested in actually representing me. And then I got to this place of, okay, I got four. What do I do? And I talked to someone in the field and they said, ultimately, it comes down to like dating. You've got to meet all these people and get a vibe of where you think things are going to fit. And that was great because in one case, it was clear that you know this person was like, okay, well, I'll talk to you, but are you going to represent me? Or is some junior person going to represent? Like, you know, is it the actual person you're talking to or that? Mm-hmm. And so I ended up That's going- That's a great question. 
Yeah. It's like, will you be the one working with me? Or are you just sort of like, are you the one trying to like sell me on this? But I ended up finding an agent and she was terrific. She was young in her career. She just started a few years earlier, but she was really hungry to kind of get out there. I was actually her first kind of business book. She did some other nonfiction stuff, but her first business book and she went to bat. I mean, she was hungry. And within a month, she had landed a contract with Wiley with an advance and everything. And so the book got picked up by Wiley. And then we had a pretty straightforward relationship, a very legitimate, credible publisher. And then the book was launched on March the 24th, 2020, right as the world shut down. But that is act- <laughs> that is a whole other story we're not going to get into that's today on the podcast. Act three. Act that is three. Definitely. <laughs> act, that's, that's the whole other act of like, what do you do when your first book comes out at the beginning the of a pandemic? Of a- not even the middle, but even like the week that everyone's you know, it felt inappropriate to even say, hey, everyone, be happy for me. It's like, everyone's <laughs> thinking the world's about to fall apart. <laughs> so anyway, that's actually, we won't go into that. But yeah, so that was a great turnaround. And I am so proud of the book and how it turned out. And just, it does, I feel like it represents me. And obviously in my world, the book becomes a calling card. And it feels so good to know that when I put a book in the mail to someone or if they pick it up and read it, it just represents me and helps me move my business and my business opportunities forward because- it's a really top-notch book and it's gotten really well-received and well-reviewed and picked up by a lot of folks. So I'm really grateful. So that is a very happy second act. Yeah. It's a great lesson in perseverance and really in self-leadership as well. Yeah. So that's awesome. And I also wanted to point out, because I was curious, you got such wonderful endorsements and I, just based on my own experience, I'm positive that that was a factor and why you heard back from 14 out of 80 agents. But I'm curious as to what other assets you brought to the platform, just for our listeners to kind of get the feel for what it takes, right? Because it's very rare that people openly talk about these aspects. And I'm really grateful to you to coming on to share. Yeah, for sure. So what other aspects were your key selling points for your platform or were the endorsements really the well, the endorsements were a piece of it, but the other piece for me, again, I'm in the business, this may not apply to you all depending on your category, but for me, I was like, I'm a business, it's not just a writer, but I'm a business consultant, facilitator, trainer. And so I've been working in the business world for 25 years. I have like, I've worked with 42 of the fortune 100 companies. And so part of what the publisher saw in terms of platform is like, this is, and I was also on the road. I'm mm-hmm. speaking to five, six, eight, 10 corporate groups a month, I should say, mm-hmm. uh, 10, so eight to 10 groups a month. So these are all eight to 10 potential groups that all have ripple effects where like, I have one decision maker who says, oh, you know what, you're coming to do a speech for us for 400 people. We're going to buy 400 books or that. So the possibility of all yeah. that So I think a big part of the asset I brought to the table was that I already had relationships in this world and I was already making a living doing this. And the book was an adjunct to that, that they saw that would fit in well. And I think without that, I think they probably would have taken a big pass on who I was. Yeah, but I love that because what you did was you leveraged your situation. And I want to point out another thing that was really smart that you did, whether you did it as a conscious competent or an unconscious competent. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you made it so that your activities to promote your book are the same activities that you need to do to have your business flourish. And this is something I really advocate with our clients because you can't make promoting your book a separate part-time job because you'll never have the time or energy to do it. So if you can leverage activities that you already 
are doing and need to do, or maybe activities you know you need to do, but you haven't done yet. That's another good category (laughs) to look for. But that's really, really a smart way to go. And there was another point, so it'll come back to me. (laughs) It has escaped temporarily. And Robin, as you speak about this idea of leveraging activities that you already are doing for your leveraging your business to leverage your book, I mean, granted, part of the challenge that we had with the book being launched with COVID was that then all of that stopped, which no one could have anticipated. But certainly now as the world is opening up again and I'm back out and traveling and working with groups and clients is, for example, if I'm on the airplane, like I pretty much carry a book around with me all the time or more, right? And so it's one of these things of, and I've got business cards, but just kind of like to pull it out and like, you know, I'm sitting in, you never know who you're going to meet on a plane in terms of like, oh, it turns out that I'm the VP of operations of XYZ. And, you know, I've made a couple of connections that way because you just don't know. And the book, you know, from a business perspective, buying someone's book for $19 and 62 cents or whatever it's discounting on Amazon these days, it's a pretty low cost investment for someone to get to know you and your work. And it's just really easy. And on the flip side, for me, it's also a really easy way if I'm building relationships and networking, it's an easy way for me to say, hey, I'd be honored. Can I send you a copy of my book? It will really give you a window into my thinking on this. And then it's me paying for the book. You know, I buy a bunch of books in bulk in advance and then media mail, it's $4.32, I know, because I go to the post office <laughs> a few times. And my goal is like to be sending out a few books every week, right? Because I want to keep those seeds going and going because that's ultimately, you know, I never expected, and again, my business model is not to make my livelihood on book sales, right? right. The book is an adjunct to everything else that I'm doing. Yeah, absolutely. I do remember the point that I wanted to add, because what you're describing is a shining example of something else that I think it's important that people who are seeking a book deal and want to go to that level should really be paying attention to, which is that you don't need to be everywhere to get your platform to a point where a publisher would want to purchase and you know the rights to your book. And you're much better off having one or two ways of promoting your book, one or two access points where you're really super strong yeah, and that you already are doing consistently and that you, you know, every expectation is you'll be able to continue to do consistently. Yeah. And I think you just named such an important word there, right? Right. It's consistency. It's like whatever strategy you're going to take, is it something that you're going to have the energy to work on consistently and work at over time? I mean, a classic example of this is like social media because there are people, they're like, where is your Instagram? I don't have an Instagram profile. Like, I don't care. I get it. But there's an opportunity. I'm like, yeah, but that's not where my clients are going to make their buying decisions for corporate leadership development training. They're just right. not. They're not there. It's like, I live on LinkedIn. Like, you want to look for me? I'm, I have an active presence on LinkedIn. I've got 110,000 followers on LinkedIn, which by the way, came after some of them, mostly after the book came out. So it's understanding I don't need to be, my kids are like, dad, I got a YouTube channel, be a TikTok influencer. TikTok. Like, nah. Yeah. That's the new like, one. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah I, I'm okay. I'm okay. I don't have to do any. So it's that fear of missing out. But then you end up doing is you diffuse and dilute your efforts. Mm-hmm. And then you're doing a lot of things poorly as opposed to just picking a couple things and doing them really well. Well said. And that's exactly correct. So you went from only a few followers on LinkedIn to 110,000. What are some of the other changes that you've noticed since your book came out? Oh, wow. Well, it's amazing. So for me in my world is that when you are now the author of best-selling leadership book, people talk to you differently and you get invited. Like I've been invited on panels. I'm now 
For example, I got invited to be on a panel that was co-sponsored by the Pepperdine Graduate School of Education and the New Delhi Institute of Management. And most of the people on the panel were academic. And I can't even remember how I got invited, but you know, whatever. And again, I'm not an academic. I am a storyteller. And so I was telling stories in this. And obviously I captivated some people, but I got invited. I'm now on the board of academic advisors for the New Delhi Institute of Management. So that came wow. out so that came out of just like showing up. And this was like during the pandemic when no one was going anywhere. It's like, yeah. And so I'm in touch with them. And I think part of it too is also is opened up more doors. I think mm-hmm. being a published author has opened up more doors as it relates particularly around credibility and just having a seat at the table. Like I got invited to speak at a future of work conference in Nashville a few weeks ago with a bunch of chief medical officers from some pretty major companies, like Fortune 20 companies were there. And I got invited to speak at that. And I think, you know, without the book and without this, this wouldn't have happened. I mean, I'd say a lot of kind of where my business is heading now is really based on the fact that I am author of Cracking Leadership Code. And so for that, I am hugely grateful. Yeah. And that is another point you've articulated so well, because just, and I'm not going to ask you to share actual numbers, but how would you think in terms of like the difference that having a book has made in your business, what multiplier of that is it greater than your advance on your book sales? Right. I asked this question terribly. So I think a lot of people, when they're imagining like what being a successful author looks like, they're thinking, well, how much can I make on book sales or how much is my advance going to be? Right. And I often hear myself say, don't look there (laughs) yeah, (laughs) because your ROI isn't there, (laughs) not your real ROI. So what would you say is your ROI for having your book in your business as a percentage compared to your advance? Oh my gosh. I would say compared to my advance, I'd say it's probably like 20x compared to the to the advance by 20 times easy and here's the thing i mean and really i mean the book so far so and that's that's exactly what i was going to say robin because so far i mean the book came out in the beginning of this pandemic i mean i had to reinvent myself because literally all of my work was face to face so frankly for the first few months i was unemployed i was like my work stopped and i had nothing else I think that meets the technical definition for unemployment, right? When you'd have no work, you know? <laughs> so I had to reinvent myself, figure out stuff online and all this. I mean, this is true of every business though, but like you have to keep working at it. And so for me, the book was this kind of rebranding, launching off of my own personal brand. And so we're really not even three years into it. And like year over year, it's like, cause you're continuously building new relationships and building on that. And so I can see the pattern, but I have friends who have like much more successful. They're like, look, I'm at this 14 years. You've been at this for two. If I was where you were at two. So I think part of it, we tend to jump on ourselves. I know like, you know, and like be so self-critical, but like, I'm not there yet. Who are you comparing yourself to? And that's for me is like, the only person I need to compare myself to is where I was at like last year. And where do I want to be next year? And do I have some targets? I mean, what I can tell you is I basically went into 2021 with very little revenue on the books going into the year. And then I went into 2022 with some revenue and I'm going into 2023 with much more. So like every year I'm starting with a better base platform for the business. And so the business is growing over time. And I still feel like I'm just scratching the surface. And again, about 9 billion people on this planet. And how many people work in organizations that need leadership? I mean, there's so much opportunity out there. It's kind of You'll never be done. You'll never be done. And it's hard. It's it's hard work. Yeah. So like you said, I think it's the comparison piece. Like you can't be comparing yourself to these other people. No, but I love how you, because that is also something I've seen 
is that there's like this geometric progression, right? Where yeah. it builds momentum yeah. as you go along, especially if you continue to include the book in your picture, in your efforts. Yeah, yeah and, for sure. Uh, yeah, until it runs out of steam and then you just need another book. But yeah, there is that. Yeah, I know. That's com- <laughs> that, may, that, that may be coming, but not this week, hopefully. No. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I usually say you want it to have at least a shelf life of five years, you know, so that if you, yeah, if yeah. you're just too busy to write another one, you, you can still coast on that one for a while. Yeah, that's the hope. That's the hope. <laughs> yeah. That's wonderful. Let's see. So, what would you, in light of your experience, if first time author was calling you for advice, what might you tell them? Okay. A few things. First is make sure you don't have the agent be the same person that you're paying. We talked about that one. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. No. So I think first time author, the first thing I'd say is like, let's begin with the end in mind. What do you want? What do you want as a result of this? And look, if the book turns out like the reason you want a published book by a publisher, I mean, look, you can self-publish a book yourself. Do you want that? What needs are you trying to meet? Now, they could be ego needs. They could be vanity needs. And those are totally, look, I'm not saying that's bad, but just be really clear on that. Like, what's your end game around this? I think the other thing, and I just noticed, and people would tell me this, and I even noticed it the few months leading up to launch, there is this kind of fantasy thinking that you want to believe that somehow my book is going to go viral and break the odds. And suddenly I'm going to become this bestseller and I'll be on Oprah next week. And like, "Mm, probably not going to happen. So like, what is your real goal? And so I would start and say, Hey, first time author, what do you want from this? What's your goal from this? And what is going to make you happy? What would a win be? What do you get to celebrate? Because if you're always chasing after something that's unattainable, it sounds like a pretty strong recipe for disappointment. Mm-hmm. So if your goal is like, oh, I have to get on Oprah by whatever it is, whatever it might be, or I need to make, you know, sell X number of copies. I have to be a New York copies. Times bestseller, right? That's the one that a lot of people get fixated on that leads to great unhappiness. <laughs> and it seems to me like so much of that has to do with right person, right luck, opportunity, like who knows who and what. And again, what is within your control? I mean, I don't think you have any, you have no control over that, whether that's going to happen or not. And so what can you do? So I'd start there and then probably go based on what they give back to me. I might follow up with some other questions because I think the answer to that first question is a really good diagnostic as to what might be a good next and follow-up questions beyond there. Yeah, I think that's terrific advice. And interestingly, that's always the first question we ask. What do you you want? (laughs) Exactly. What do you want? And I think it's so important too, because the definition of author success should really be an individual answer. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people do get fixated on whatever bestseller status. And some people end up, there's a lot of ways to game that system. Yeah. And if you have a big enough bank account, you can be a bestseller on just about any list but the New York Times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but what does that really get you if you haven't explored what you want, what would make a difference for you in your own life and in your own business if they happen to be connected? Yeah. And to get slightly metaphysical around this too, is I think the challenge with any of that stuff is that if you actually achieve much of what you think you want, because you're told yourself, if I get this, then I will be happy. Well, guess what? It's a pretty good chance that when you get this, 
it's still you and you may not be happy. I mean, again, I coach lots of, I do executive coaching 101 for people, you know, people who are like, you know, billionaires and millionaires and they're no happier or unhappier depending. I mean, some might be, but some are not. And some are actually quite miserable people. And so I think getting really clear on your own values. I mean, this is something I coach leaders on. It's like get really clear on what's really important to you and the values and not just values that you put on a piece of paper and hang on your wall or on a post-it note, but like, how are you living them out every day? What are you doing to support those values? And if you're doing things every day, because you don't need success and external validation. Like, look, if service is a value to you, you can go and do that. If philanthropy is a value to you, giving $5 to someone who's in need is service and giving. If that's all you have, that's something. So it's getting clear on that is so important because then you can feel like I'm living on purpose as opposed to reacting and responding to everyone and everything around me. Or measuring or looking to what other people have told you should make you happy Yeah, as the barometers for happiness versus just figuring out what makes you happy Yeah, on your yeah. own. Yeah. Just like I'm sure many people have asked you this, you know, people ask me like, so do you like writing? And I was like, that's a really loaded question. I say, I like having written personally. <laughs> I find, I mean, it's a great process. When I say great, it's challenging as heck, you know, because it's basically how do I take what are thoughts and turn them into language. And that is just, I wish I could say I could just sit down like Mozart and just like pull out like clean sheets, but you know, <laughs> writing is rewriting, writing is editing oh, and all yeah. of that and all of these things. And, you know, I mean, all the stuff that ends up on the cutting room floor. I mean, it's a creative process, but there is something that, for example, going back to the blog, there was something about publishing for hell or high water on that Saturday you know, here's my post. Boom. It's out in the world. Now people can think what they want of it or not, mm-hmm. but it's yet another, it's, it's a creative act. And there's something kind of cool to have created something out of nothing. Yeah, that is very true. That is very true. I also see your point. I think that sometimes the act of writing can be quite painful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah for sure. Sometimes it's fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I find oftentimes the hardest thing is getting started, just mm. getting started. Yeah. Just do that and just get started. I'm sure you may be a big fan of Annie Lamott, her book, Bird by Bird. Bird by Bird. Yeah. Yeah. I always refer to the whole idea. I put it in quotes because it's not my words. It's Annie Lamott's words. It's the shitty first draft, right? It's like, yes, got to get in. That was so normalizing for my experience because we all have those little critics and gremlins on our shoulders saying, this sucks, this. And it's like, yep. Hello. Welcome to my first draft. (laughs) <laughs> Hello, Gremlin. Welcome back. Here we are again. I know you. Sit down, have yeah, a cup of coffee, make yourself so, comfortable. It's such a freeing idea of yeah. just get it out of your... I mean, I even tell my clients that just, we need you to get it out of your brain and into a document. <laughs> yeah, It does not have to be pretty. Yeah. We don't expect it to be pretty. We'd be shocked, absolutely shocked if it was pretty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> oh, Fabulous. So what were some of the other things that you did to get yourself going? Now, in terms of writing? Mm-hmm. Well, I tell you, frankly, having a schedule was really helpful. Like, first of all, the mm-hmm. post, the blog posts were really helpful. And then I will give some credit to my that agent consultant in that, <laughs> frankly, one of the things that got going is when I was paying a monthly retainer, I was paying someone to move this process forward. There's nothing like incentives like, okay, I'm paying money to move this thing forward. I didn't want this to take 20 years. So that got (laughs) me going. So that was some built-in accountability around, okay, I'm going to get this next chapter to you to review in three weeks. I was like, okay, I'm now working on this. So that was really good. Some other things that I did, this is just kind of more technical, technical stuff, 
is so I have, I'm, I'm talking to you now in my home office here, but most of the book, I live in Northampton, Massachusetts. I take my laptop and I would go to the Smith College Psychology Library in the psychology building. I found a spot and I had a spot and I'd go there. So what that meant also is I would carve out at least three hour chunks of dedicated time. So for me, I am not someone who can sit down and work for 15 minutes on writing and then come back. To, I need like just focused deep, you know, as Cal Newport calls it, deep thinking. I needed that depth. And so I would carve out as much of that as I could and just go like, okay, I'm going to be at the library at whatever time. And I'm there for this number of hours and this is what I'm doing. And so that was what couple of things I did. Another thing I did particularly, there is an app called Freedom where you can basically pay and you can set it and lock yourself out of certain websites. So for me, I locked myself out of all social and out of like newyorktimes.com, a couple other (laughs) sites that I just knew that would be, I just didn't need them. Like I was writing, I didn't need to be doing, I didn't want to lock myself out of the internet necessarily because depending on the day, I need to learn something pulls in and that's another danger. Sometimes there would be days like you can spend time in research hell. It's like, I'm just tootling around and you're in a rabbit hole. But there were definitely right. things. So I were doing things to basically lock myself out and just force me to stay with what I was doing. So those were a couple other tools that I found really useful. I love that the app that locks you out of things is called Freedom. <laughs> yeah. It's ironic, but accurate. <laughs> totally. Exactly. It gives you freedom to do stuff. Yeah, I know. I'm a big believer in this whole idea of design infrastructure for your habits. Again, it's the old system of if you want to eat fresh fruit, put it in a nice bowl on the counter. Don't put it in the bottom crisper of your refrigerator where you're never going to find it. If you don't want to eat the cookies, then I either put them way in the back of the pantry where you don't find them, or even better, leave them at the store. because Right. <laughs> We are such creatures of the design of our environment. And so whatever we can do to support that, it really does make a difference. And I'd say don't underestimate these little things because it's actually, I find like the little things become the big things. And if you look at, and there's great books about rituals of creative people and all, they all have some kind of ritual, something that gets them into this. Because if you have to think about it a lot, you're not going to do it. Because let's face it, motivation is a fickle fair weather friend. And it's only going to last for so long. And then you're going to have to rely on habits. Yeah. And I think you're right too, because to have that dedicated time, it can work really great if it's a specific time on a specific day. Yeah. Because if you have to negotiate it every time you go to write, if every time it's a negotiation, that really gets in the way. So it's like, oh, today I'm going to write at 9 a.m. and tomorrow I'm going to write at 2. Exactly. Yeah. The more it's on autopilot, then it's set. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't that good because I was still at the time I was traveling and working. So I would like carve out, I'd look at my schedule like, okay, I'm not traveling this day. This is a day I can write. And I try to carve that out at the beginning of the week. But yeah, the more that you can automatize all these things. uh, Yeah. Even if you can set it before the week starts yeah, so that you're not negotiating it in the middle of the week, because that's when everything's pulling on you Yeah, and it's harder to find time Mm -hmm. once you've already gotten in the mix. So, yeah. Oh, and wow. the, other, the other little detail, I mean, this might seem intuitively obvious. I mean, it kind of goes along with the whole idea of the freedom app and stuff, but generally wherever possible, I would, for example, I live my, where I am now, this is my home office is on the second floor. It's, we have a spare bedroom. It's a home office is uh, my phone never comes up here. My cell phone mm. never comes up here. So I don't text a whole lot purposely. Like I just don't want all of that back and forth distraction. So again, whatever you can do to minimize whatever interruptions and distractions, interesting study, whenever we say to someone like, Hey, you got a minute? Turns out that the amount of time it takes to get back to the cognitive level of where you were before you were interrupted, average of 23 minutes and 15 seconds, which is horrifically like terrifying to me. Because you think about every time I got a minute, it's like, I got a minute plus 23 and 15. 
That's a little oh scary. Oh my god. So just giving that's going to give me nightmares. That one. there we go. Sorry, but oh it's my true. Gosh. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that might keep me up all night, and then I'm really in trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's that. There's that. <laughs> all right, Alon. So I'm going to wrap up. This has been fantastic, and I could go. I'm sure we could. Yeah, go this has been great. But Thanks. I'm going to end with my infamous or famous, depending on how you look at it, final question, which is, what did I not ask you that you would love to answer? Ah, the infamous, what would you like? Okay. That's a great question, by the way. That is a wonderful question. What's coming to mind is, I got to put it in the form of a question now in terms of answering it, is what do you think got you over the hurdle of wannabe author to author? Oh, great. Uh, You know? Because I think there's a lot of wannabes. I was a wannabe for a long, long time. And we all can recognize that in ourselves. I think what it was, it was getting out of, we talked about this somewhat already. It was getting out of the mindset of the outcome and really committing to, I had confidence. As I kept blogging, I started getting confidence in my ability to sit and write 350 words or 500 words or 700 words at a time. And I think there's something about the practice of doing, it goes back to my mentor, right? Writers write. And I realized that over those years, my writing voice got clearer and cleaner and better. And I'm a much better writer than I used to be. And I'm a much better editor than I used to be. And so is it easy? I wouldn't call it easy, but it's better. It's easier. It's clearer. And so I think that getting away from whatever label judgment and getting into the work itself seems to be a pretty good strategy. So that's probably where I'd leave it with that. Well, Alana, that's great advice. And thank you once again for being with us on The Author's Corner. Thank you, Robin. It's really been my pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Author's Corner. You're one step closer to writing the world-changing book you've dreamed about for years. To access today's show notes and other helpful resources, simply visit our website at theauthorscorner.com. A positive review would be appreciated. Until next time.